Today, we bring you audio from the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series. Welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. In this video series, we interview guests from a variety of backgrounds who are all linked together through autism. From advocates to therapists to parents and autistic adults, this series will take a well-rounded approach to sharing diverse perspectives on autism spectrum disorder. Our guests are encouraged to speak freely and be their authentic selves when discussing controversial yet critical topics in the autism community. If you'd like to watch the full unedited video of our interview-style podcast spinoff, Embracing Autism IRL, please subscribe to our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. New episodes release monthly. Without further ado, let's meet fine artist Anthony Galati. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Embracing Autism IRL. Today, I have with me Anthony Galati. Anthony is a full-time fine artist and an art teacher who graduated from Tyler School of Art, part of Temple University in Philadelphia. He currently teaches drawing and oil painting lessons online and has had many solo students as well as group classes. He's got lots of experience working with the special needs and neurodiverse community, including respite work, regular volunteerism at a special education school, and meaningful relationships with special needs members of his community. He currently resides in New Jersey with his girlfriend and two cats. Hi, Anthony. How you doing? I am great. Yeah, that's, that's all accurate. What type of cats? One is feisty. One is a little more mellow. So uh, they're both rescues and the, they're both, uh, well, the one is like, I don't know, about 13. We got a, another cat a couple years ago and she is so small. We thought she was a kitten when we got her, but we found out when we took her to the vet, she's actually full grown. But Whoa. She, she goes into total, you know, attack mode whenever she sees the other cat, because we think that she was probably like an alley cat and she had a fend for herself. And she probably had a lot of, you know, fights before we got her. So basically, we have to keep them separated. We tried introducing them together <laughs> many ways and uh, just didn't work. But So she's like me then, small but feisty. I'm, <laughs> I'm four foot 11, so. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you would have a lot in common with her. Yeah, she would never know from just looking at her. She looks really cute and nice. But as soon as there's another cat, it's like she goes from Jekyll to Hyde. And you can see like the horns coming out. <laughs> But. I'm glad I asked because that's, that's <laughs> hilarious. So Anthony, I just wanted to start off. First of all, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Well, I wanted to learn a little bit more about you and mm-hmm. specifically why you decided to pursue art. Well, for me, it's always been a foregone conclusion that that was what I was going to do. I mean, there was a little while when I was younger that I thought about being a vet or I heard that you make a lot of money as an architect. And so I thought about that for a while, but then I was like, oh, I don't really like math, so probably not going to do that. And uh, actually, one of my um, solo students out now, both of her parents are architects, and I was telling them that story, and they were like, oh, yeah, it's not true. We actually don't really make that much. I was like, okay, well, good thing I didn't do that. You know, I've always been drawing since I was little. My mom said even when I was in preschool, the teacher was telling her that I, they could tell I was already making kind of advances ahead of the other kids. So it's just been really always a matter of exactly what I was going to end up doing. You know, there was a time when I wanted to do sci-fi and fantasy book covers when I was in high school. And then got to a point where I kind of didn't want to paint other people's ideas so much. And so I always kind of knew I'd probably end up there at some point in some way. I yeah, find I like, that really interesting because art is really often an expression of like your internal self. To me, being attracted to different types of art makes me feel like we are actually being attracted to different types of personalities, if that makes sense. 
So Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting when I think about that from like the perspective of like neurodivergencies and like autism. I wonder if I was in a room full of autism inspired or autistic art, would I find myself like more attracted to those than I would something that was not autistic art? I don't know. I'm just like curious Mm -hmm. if that experience would be different. But I wanted to ask you, because you have said that you have worked with the special needs community, what has that experience been like? What sorts of things have you done? And have you seen any sort of intermingling between art and special needs? My girlfriend is a special ed teacher at the Matheny School in Peapack, New Jersey. She's been there for several years, and I've had a lot of experience going and working with the kids there. They actually have an arts access program where there are people that their whole full-time job is just to be human brushes, where basically like the kids at this school, pretty much almost all of them are in wheelchairs. Many of them can't talk. So you know, there's some fairly serious situations with them. And so many of them can't actually move their arms. So they'll just direct a person to do a painting for them. And they'll say like, okay, you know, which color do you want? And then in whatever way that, you know, the kid or the adult uh, needs to, they'll just kind of let them know, okay, I want yellow. And and I want to like a line going over there, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool cool program. Yeah. And they sell the paintings and, you know, people come in and buy them and they have like shows from time to time. So yeah, it's really cool. So that's definitely a place where they uh, come together. And, you know, I think that the residents that live there, they really enjoy it as like a way for them to do something creative and have an outlet for their frustrations or if it's just time to play or whatever it may be. Yeah. Have you have you seen art helping neurodivergent individuals? I know you mentioned people with like physical disabilities. Have you seen it impact with neurodivergent minds? Yeah, I've had some students that were neurodivergent and you know, definitely it can help with self-esteem and like I was saying, frustrations. I mean, for some people, if they like if there's certain areas they have a hard time with, like if they feel like they can't do something well in one area, especially if it's something that other people that are neurotypical can do, maybe that's hard for them. But if they can do other things better than maybe an average person, then maybe it kind of balances it out a little. You know, most people walking down the street, if you just stop them, like nine out of 10 are not going to be able to draw that well, probably. You know, a lot of people look at artists as like these magical beings that come from another dimension or something, you know, and I've been like set up in Central Park doing paintings where people will walk by and just say like, oh, I wish I had a talent, you know, <laughs> like things like that. <laughs> what I always tell people is anybody can learn, you know, I may have had a head start, but if you put in the time and actually work on it, it's like anything else. Michael Jordan didn't become an excellent basketball player by never practicing all these other other different skills. They're really not that different in that way. Whatever you spend your time on, you're going to get better at, hopefully, unless you're really not meant to do it. (laughs) But even then, there's so many different varieties of art that I just feel like there is probably an in for everyone because there's so many Mm -hmm. options. There's got to be at least one modality or one media that Mm -hmm. you'd be able to do, essentially. Right. And, you know, some people maybe are not interested in drawing or painting as much, but they are into poetry or playing music. I mean, I've definitely noticed, like I play keyboard and I've noticed a lot of people that are into painting will also play an instrument. I think it's pretty common if you have that kind of creative energy, it can come out in all kinds of different ways. So for some people, it's just, you know, they got one thing and they're happy with that. But for other people, there's lots of things they want to do. And Even as a visual artist, you may want to do sculpture and watercolor and drawing and whatever. 
That's so yeah. funny that you say that because my oldest, she's autistic. She has been really into instruments. Like she's picking up all sorts of instruments. She's four. And she just now suddenly got out of the blue, totally into watercolor. I got her this like cheap, like $3 Crayola set. And she went through yeah. that entire thing of paint in like two days. And she went through so many pieces of oh, paper. Wow. It was impressive, um, mm -hmm. especially with like fine motor issues. I was really impressed. But I definitely have seen that connection between music and art and mm -hmm. neurodivergencies. So now mm -hmm. that you brought that up, I thought it was also interesting because a lot of autistic individuals are not actually able to communicate verbally. So I know that you brought up, for example, if somebody was physically disabled, they could have this person that they communicate what they would like to have on there. So right. for somebody like an autistic who's nonverbal or perhaps is verbal but has difficulty expressing themselves verbally, how do you feel that art could be used as a form of expression for those individuals? You know, there's, there's all different reasons that somebody might want to make art. And, you know, I think you could look back and say, like, a pretty large number of artists that are very well known today, you know, they, they made art because they had to. Like Mick Jagger, I remember there was a quote I heard from him years ago saying, like, the people that do this, that, you know, it kind of becomes their career, they do it because they have to, because they don't fit in anywhere else. You know, say if somebody is um, you know, manic depressive, like Van Gogh, most likely is believed to have been manic depressive. And this was like his way of kind of coping with those things. And, you know, he had all these things that he was dealing with and he only sold one painting in his whole life. He wasn't doing it to sell it. You know, he was doing it because he loved it so much, even to the point where he would use colors that he knew maybe were going to fade at some point, but he was just so in the moment of creating it. And that was so special for him that he didn't even care. There are reasons you may do art to help with something that you're having a hard time with. Like if you're depressed or if you're just struggling with, you know, say somebody who is neurodivergent, maybe just um, has certain skills they are trying to do, but they're having a hard time with it or just whatever life in general is just kind of hard and they're just, they need a little time to kind of take a break. Or you may just, you know, do it because it's fun and you just enjoy it. I've had some students that have, uh, you know, very like high stress jobs, you know, in an office or whatever. And they've said like, this is the only time they can let their brain just empty out. Their mind can just clear out and not think about all the stuff they have to do kind of every day. Yeah, kind of like a mental vacation. <laughs> right. In a way. Another thing that happens quite often that's often correlated with autism, and this is something that my girls both struggled with, is fine motor skills. There's mm -hmm. a high correlation with being able to do things like draw, spell, hold a pencil correctly, things like that. Do you think that there's forms of art that would be accessible to autistics who have fine motor challenges? And if so, mm -hmm. what, what would those be? Well, um, so like the program I was talking about at the Matheny School, I think pretty much everything they do is abstract style. In that way, it's a little bit, I think it lends itself to that kind of thing more where somebody is painting for them, basically. But even if, uh, say, somebody didn't want to do abstract, if they wanted to do realism, you know, there's all kinds of adapted gear. Like there's a company named Zot Arts that has there's like neoprene, like a scuba glove where you can put a, a brush or pencil in there and just instead of using your fingers to hold it you just kind of move your arm around to draw like dick blick is another art store it's been around for a long time and they they have just general art stuff but then they also have other things like that that you can use there's things for feet even um, where you could attach something it's kind of like a wrist guard kind of a thing but you could like put it on your foot and you know attach a pencil in there or my girlfriend like there's a couple of her students have even had sort of like headgear where there's just something coming off the forehead and they just move their head around to either draw or whatever they're doing 
So there's a bunch of different like assisted devices depending on the extremity of their limitations, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Do you think that mm-hmm. there's methods or certain media that lend themselves more to not needing super fine motor control? Or are there some media to avoid because they're like super unforgiving? It kind of depends. Like when you have something like watercolor, one of the hard things about watercolors, once you put something down, it's just there. You know, you can go over it again, but basically you have the white of the paper. And then what you add to it, it's just going to keep getting darker and darker or changing colors, but it's never going to get lighter again, unless you use another paint called gouache, which is sometimes combined with it. But, you know, that's the hard thing about watercolor is it's unforgiving. You know, you can you can make it darker, but if you realize you went too dark in one spot, uh, unless you're using gouache, then you kind of can't go backwards with it. But then there's something like oil paint where you can paint a layer and let it dry and then paint over it, you know, several times if you want. It depends on the person's sort of style, like what they want to do and how realistic it would be. And also just maybe the way they work. Like I have an aunt that's an artist and she just does one painting in one sitting and then she's done and she's like, that's it. I don't care anymore. <laughs> like she moves on. For me, like I've had some paintings that I've worked on for you know many months and it just takes a long time to finish because I have a very detailed, realistic style. So yeah, as far as like if you put something down and you don't like it, yeah, you can always paint over it. Um, That would be probably perfect then, because I know my kiddos make a lot of mistakes. How have you found that art has helped you or other people with mental health struggles? Well, I think that like for me, like I was saying, I play keyboard. So there have been times where there's just kind of like, I just need to go and slam on it. I'm just like really aggravated about something. And it's different from drawing or painting because you can just do that and you're not creating a thing. Like I was saying, I have some of my paintings or drawings or whatever will take a really long time. So you can just go and play for a few minutes or half hour or whatever, and then walk away from it. You don't have to have this complete thing that you're doing. Again, it's like that same kind of creative outlet that sometimes you just feel like you need it to kind of help with something you're having a hard time with. But as for other people, though, it can just be really useful, kind of like we were saying before, like having a little mind vacation or like some people will say it's like a meditation, you know, like they work on it and they just totally go into what they're working on. And I think that, I mean, I'm really into Tony Robbins and something he's been talking about for a long time, which now there's science to substantiate some of these things is you can change what's happening in your brain by what you do in your body. So I think it's kind of becoming a well-known thing now that if you just stand really tall and put your hands on your, on your hips and like, you know, like Superman and stand there looking really tough, then it'll actually change your brain and you'll begin releasing more testosterone within like a few minutes. You know, it's like something Tony talks about a lot with trying to change your behavior as if you're in a pattern, you have to do something to break the pattern. So that could mean you get up and go for a jog. That could mean you sit down and start drawing, whatever it is, you're just doing something different that in your body that really leads to your mind kind of adapting naturally to, to change where it was before. I think that's something that I'm noticing in in my eldest because she struggles a lot with behavioral challenges, uh, particularly when she's overwhelmed or stressed. She has a really hard time kind of coping with those emotions. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed that I have been able to redirect her to art and that that seems to calm her down right away. Like we discovered Mm -hmm. this maybe like two or three weeks ago that she suddenly has become very attached to her watercolors and she's always asking us to draw. So I'm noticing that that's made a difference because instead of her going into these more maladaptive behaviors, 
-hmm. we're able to redirect it into something that's healthy and producing something that later she's proud of. She'll show it to us and look like, mom, I made a rainbow or whatever. So it's actually been really, really good for us. Well, you know, also like uh, we were talking before about like, if you have like frustrations and things to, it's like a way to channel that sometimes it's not necessarily like you, you know, feel frustrated. So you draw something that's really happy and, you know, totally different. Sometimes when you have that raw emotion, you can actually just put that in whatever you're creating. And I really think that some of the best art comes from that, where it's just, there's just something that you just have to get out. And um, depending on what that may be for, you know, one person to the next, you know, it, it could be like, you know, for somebody that's younger, maybe a manga character or, you know, anime character or something that's like fighting a monster. For somebody else, it may be just um, something completely different. Instead of just trying to ignore it, like when you're creating, you could actually just use that as sort of this thing that is motivating you to actually do it. And then when you're done, the energy has passed on into your drawing or painting. Absolutely. I've definitely noticed that too. My husband's always saying, because we would do these little like paint dates that we would do, paint nights. Yeah. And he was always telling me like, oh man, this is so relaxing. I wish we did this more often. Even without intending to, you always get a little more zen after after the fact, even if you're not actively trying to, it just, it like happens. <laughs> well, yeah. My girlfriend has actually told me just, just watching me paint is like watching fish. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. <laughs> well, just like, like yeah, watching fish it. is relaxing. Yeah. So I'm just messing with you. <laughs> yeah, okay. So there's some autistics who, like myself, struggle with aphantasia. And mm -hmm. for those who aren't aware, aphantasia is the inability to visualize images in your head. So if somebody's telling you to like picture a beach or picture running water in a tree and like nothing comes to mind, you basically just see darkness or something really blurry that you can barely hold on to. There's autistics who have things like that, like aphantasia. But then mm -hmm. there's other autistics like Temple Grandin. She basically championed this idea of thinking in pictures where there's some autistics that think in very, very vivid hyper detail. So if you ask them to draw a, a church, like instead of drawing a church, they will draw a very specific church that they've actually seen in person. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is, do you believe that art expression is possible in both of these scenarios? So whether you have a very vivid imagination and very vivid visual system versus having virtually no visual system? And if so, do you think that there's a specific impact that art would have on those two perspectives? So something that I recommend for most of my students, well, pretty much all my students, <laughs> they're trying to do realism is basically working from reference, which means just a, a photo or a person in front of you or an object in front of you. Because a lot of the time, even if you have a good imagination, when you look at something, even if you study it really hard for a while, you're not going to remember all the details when you actually go and try to draw it or you know, create it in whatever way you want. And even if you have a reference image in front of you, like for me, I'll look back and forth just like constantly, just because you got like a half a second before your brain starts forgetting what you just looked at. Even though you think, you know, your brain may think it knows what it saw. If you try to draw it without looking at the reference, then a lot of the time it's not going to really look the same unless it's something you're really, really familiar with. So definitely, if you don't have the ability to see things in your mind, if you close your eyes, that's definitely okay as far as, you know, creating art. And as for people that can imagine a lot of things when they close their eyes, you know, sometimes that can be great. It's just a matter of getting the skills to actually be able to do what you can see in your mind to do that same thing with your hand. I think either way it works. That's kind of cool. I feel like 
what might ultimately happen is you get somebody who might be doing like a hyper real thing, assuming they have the skills to back it up. And then you might get somebody who's doing more abstract art. So another thing that autistic kids tend to struggle with is bullying. And Mm -hmm. this is common because typically they stand out. And another issue is oftentimes they have sensory overload, challenges with maintaining focus and meltdowns and things like that. So how do you think that art could be helpful for them? Do you think that they should consider art as a way to perhaps address some of these struggles? I think, first of all, for you know some kids that are not very verbal, there may be some bullying going on. And if you let them just draw whatever they feel like, it could give some clues that maybe there's something going on if they draw some somebody that looks like them and then there's someone, you know, attacking them or something like that. So I think in that way could be kind of important. But when I was younger, when I was in like fourth grade or something, I draw myself like big with muscles and sunglasses and often with like a Freddy Krueger glove because I thought that was cool. So, you know. (laughs) It was the 80s. I mean, having one glove was big back then, like Michael Jackson did it. But anyway, (laughs) you know, they can draw themselves looking however they want. So, you know, that may make them feel special, like they can make themselves look like a comic book character or whatever. So I think that can be really fun. And, you know, even if it's not necessarily the way they look in reality, they can at least have that picture and say, like, you know, this is me. Aside from that kind of stuff, overload and, you know, dealing with that, doing art can be a way to just shut out the world. Instead of having all these different things happening, it's just like they have that one thing to focus on. That's all they need to really deal with at that point, especially if like they're feeling overly stimulated. You know, they have these great noise canceling headphones now, so you can even just put them on and not even listen to anything. It'll just get rid of any sounds that are around you. They can use that to sort of help focus and just have like nothing else going on to deal with or process. And I think that also, you know, as far as focus goes, people in general tend to want to do what's fun. So, you know, if they're drawing something they enjoy, then they're probably going to have an easier time focusing on it. I actually have a visual coherency disorder. I went and got tested for it years ago, and there wasn't even really a name for it. But, you know, one of the things that that relates to is like, if I'm trying to read, and it's something that I don't want to read, like if I'm not interested in it, it's almost impossible. I mean, I used to have back in high school, we'd have books assigned to read And I would read the same page four or five times and not even know what I just read at all. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't even going through. But, you know, I can read something if it's something I'm really interested in. So, you know, again, it's like that whole thing of what you want to do is automatically interesting and you kind of want to do that. Some people may still have a little bit of a struggle, but I think that makes it that makes a big difference. Yeah, I think that's that's really valid. I think making it interesting is not as hard when it's art because art is something that is so open. It's like such a sandbox thing where you have so much choice. There's no wrong way to do art. So I think Mm -hmm. that that actually helps too, because with some of these kiddos, like my younger one, because of the way that they experience life and all these pressures to like be normal or act normal from the outside world, they tend to start developing this anxiety of like, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to get in trouble? Are people going to judge me? With art, it's so judgment free. It's so mm-hmm. like freeing in that sense, because they can completely open themselves up to this like canvas and just be their authentic self and not have to worry about the judgment or how people might misinterpret their art or anything like that. So in that sense, I totally do agree. I think that it would be really helpful in addressing those sorts of issues. I will say, like I mentioned earlier, my husband has found that art has been really awesome for him and us and our relationship, honestly, because we're able to kind of connect in 
a way that you can't really connect otherwise, because I feel like if you're both painting together, you're not really talking necessarily, but you're both going through something at the same time, if that makes sense. You're both processing something on the canvas at the same time. So it's kind of like a type of intimacy, artistic intimacy. I don't know what you want to call it. (laughs) But I wonder if as a parent to autistic children, you know, we usually struggle with a sense of social isolation. So we have to find these ways to connect. We're often stressed and overwhelmed and frustrated with all of the baggage that comes with raising a special needs child who needs all sorts of doctor's appointments and accommodations. That often leads to things like depression and anxiety, social isolation, feeling completely alone and not having an outlet. Do you think that this would be helpful for parents and not just, you know, the kids going through the struggles themselves? Do you feel like this is something that could also be adapted by parents who are raising these kids? Sure. If you're not really getting what you want from the external environment, you can really create your own little world. And, you know, that may mean having uh, your own characters and creating a whole story or creating different creatures or whatever. It could be maybe a home that you would like to have one day or whatever. It's definitely a place where you can just let your your imagination kind of go wild and whatever you feel like doing, you can do. You know, you can do anything with art. You know, the only real limitation is just your ability. If you're making something realistic, figuring out how to do something, if maybe you don't know how to yet, as far as drawing something in a way that it looks dimensional and shadow and light and that kind of stuff. And I think like you were saying about, you know, it being kind of intimate doing the art, like you're making yourself vulnerable by trying it. It It's kind of like that, you know, it's like um, whether it's singing or whatever, when you're doing something and you're kind of like allowing yourself to like do something that maybe might not come out the way you want, (laughs) you know, you're taking a risk, but you know, it can be a great risk to take if you end up actually enjoying what you're doing and it becomes this new thing that you want to do more often continue doing it regularly. My hope is that as my child grows, hopefully she will allow me to get into her art bubble so that maybe we can do kind of parallel art and see if that would be kind of a doorway to be able to get a little more into her head and like what she thinks Mm -hmm. and stuff. That communication piece is so hard with autism. My hope is that this connection that my husband and I have been able to find through art that hopefully art will also bring that with our kids. They're still young. They're three and four right now. I've got a ways to go before I find that out. So (laughs) I can hope for the best. So I heard that you will actually be conducting a class called Autistic and Artistic. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, what it's all about and where my listeners can find it? Sure. I'm working together with Kind Theory. It's a great organization for autistic people. And this is going to be a class that we're going to be doing on September 24th to Saturday. And it's going to be at 1.30 Central Time. And it's going to be an hour-long drawing class for parents and for kids. You know, any, any ages, all humans are allowed to come and draw. It's going to be open to whether, if you would like to donate, you can donate to attend and get a ticket for the class. Or if it's a little tough right now, you are not able to really donate, you know, you can still join, but all the proceeds are going to go towards Kind Theory. So, you know, they're very nice people. They have a great mission. So it'd be really great for anyone that's interested if you could donate. For those of you out there listening, Kind Theory might sound like a familiar name. That's because we have partnered with them in the past and they have been responsible for helping us gift a lot of kiddos over Christmas wish holidays. 
So this is a way that we can kind of say thank you. So if you guys are interested in that art class, those details are on their social media. We'll list it one more time for y'all. But that's the Autistic and Artistic class on Facebook. Um, you can find the at Kind Theory Org. The class is listed there with the information. So if you need to sign up for the Eventbrite, that is all there. I have one more question for you. So this podcast, we decided to call it Embracing Autism. This one specifically is the IRL spinoff. But the reason we call it Embracing Autism is because we feel like society has gone through mostly, you know, the autism awareness. There's now kind of like the autism acceptance movement. But we feel like beyond acceptance, society and culture still needs to learn to fully embrace autism. And so what I wanted to ask is, what would that look like to you? Like, what do you think the ideal situation or world would be when it comes to fully embracing autism? For sure, right now, we're going through a major change, much like the civil rights movement back in the 60s. And, you know, women and people of color were suddenly able to have some certain rights that they didn't have before. And it, it was this huge struggle. And back then, it was more just social perception or cultural perception of like, what was right and wrong to allow certain people to be able to do certain things. I think when it comes to neurodivergent people, it's it's more a case of a lot of people that are neurotypical just don't understand certain things. I mean, I remember hearing years ago how a lot of people that were, you know, in this community were basically parents would just keep their kids home because they didn't want them going out and, you know, being around, you know, people in their town or whatever. And I think now people feel a lot more maybe safe, but also just like it's a, lo a lot more welcoming for them to come out and be around other people and be in the community and all, all that. So proximity alone, I think, will help to kind of raise awareness about, you know, what it actually means to be autistic and I've listened to some of your episodes before. There's like kind of this uh, movie perception of what it means to be autistic from like Rain Man or different things. And there's such a big scale of different ends of the spectrum. But I think really it's it's kind of heading into this inevitable place where it's going to be people that are neurodivergent are not going to be kind of seen as different quite as much. It's going to be more like, okay, well, these people are kind of into this kind of thing or that's just their behavior. It'll just be kind of more kind of every day for people just to be around someone like that, maybe at a certain job. And, you know, in the past, maybe you didn't see people that were neurodivergent being at certain types of work as much. But now we're, we're seeing that certain people have these extreme skills that most people are totally incapable of doing, you know, with math or whatever. You know, I saw a, an article a couple of years ago, somewhere how uh, it was actually talking about how there are certain industries that are actually seeking out people that are, you know, autistic because they've recognized there's certain skills they have that just no one else really has. Of course, not all autistic people have those same abilities, but some, you know, definitely do. I think it's really just uh, leading to a place of things being more accepted and normal. Yeah. So basically, like normalized to the point where you're not really have to think or worry about acceptance because everyone just does it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Yeah, just the kind of, you know, quotations, different people in general right now, this this is really what's happening. You're seeing, you know, if you look at certain shows, there's like, uh, you know, America's Got Talent and different things where there's people that are on there that they're not pretending like they don't have a certain kind of condition or something. They're just coming out and saying it and people are ready to cheer them on now where it's like, oh, you know, he's doing that. That's so great. You know, instead of looking at the person and judging them or something like that, people are totally ready to have someone like that be more in the spotlight and, you know, just join in what everyone else is doing. 
That makes sense. I've seen that cultural trend too. Before we wrap up, I want to give you the opportunity to share with our audience where my listeners can find you. Do you have social media, website? Where are you present on the internet? My website is just my name. It's antonygalati.com, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-G-A-L-A-T-I.com. If you're listening to this, you know, not right around the time that we're recording it, hopefully we're going to make the autistic and artistic class kind of a regular thing if we get a good response. If you go under lessons, like say, if you listen to this in a month or something, if you go under lessons on my site, then if we have another one coming up, you'll be able to see it there. As far as my social media, you can look at my Instagram, Anthony Galati underscore art. You know what? Let me just make sure I don't screw this up. <laughs> it looks like it's Anthony underscore Galati right. underscore. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. You you know better than me. So I don't have to type that in myself very often. But yeah, <laughs> underscore in between my name and in between art at the end. Then yeah. Awesome. So it's, that's the best place to see my work on social media. Thank you so much. This was a really interesting conversation. I know I've learned more about art and its impact with the special needs community. And I definitely think I'm going to be trying to pursue this a little bit more with my kiddos. I think it will be a really great outlet for them. So I appreciate this. And hopefully we will see some of our listeners of that class. If not, if you hear this too late, you heard what he said, there's going to be more upcoming events on his website. So stick around and stay tuned. Make sure to follow him on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much, Anthony, for joining us today. Okay, Leah, thank you so much also. It's great being here. Thank you. Have a good one. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.